Welcome to At Home and Abroad with Harrison Walker. Join us each week as we explore the far reaches of the globe in search of unique characters and stories to share. Reach beyond your front door as we uncover new perspectives, intriguing ideas, and lessons learned over time. Let's jump in. Audrey Hepburn once said that to plant a garden is to believe in tomorrow. Gardening is great therapy for the mind and the body, and truly to create a garden is a service to all. These oases, large and small, grand and humble, exist in all manner of environments. Our passion for nurturing the natural world has peaked of late, only to the benefit of not just the beholder, but also to the master behind the magic. John Lentz of the innovative Baker Street Heirloom Seed Company in Mansfield, Missouri, joins us today to share his passion for rare seeds and heirloom varieties that should be preserved for future generations. So let's not beat around the bush, but sow the seeds of love for the glory of the garden. Ah, Harris, the garden is my happy place. I know. (laughs) It's so magical, isn't it? I really wish I had more time for gardening. I need to make more time for it because I find it very therapeutic. Yeah, we should both make more time for gardening. Did you know that digging in the soil is sometimes referred to as horticulture therapy? I didn't, but I would definitely agree with this, at least in my case. Yeah, for sure. According to Forbes, studies have shown that gardening reduces depression, anxiety, and even the body mass index. Time working in the garden also increases life satisfaction, your quality of life, and one's sense of community. Wow, your BMI too? (laughs) Okay, I definitely need to make more I know. time now. Nice. I'm in, I know. <laughs> Not only that, but in Psychology Today, a discussion between Dr. Seth J. Gillen and gardener Joe Lampel outlined even more health benefits of gardening. Did you know that gardening improves our mental well-being by allowing us to practice acceptance? Mother Nature is very good at reminding us that we are not in control. So true. Gardening can also help us deal with our perfectionism. This article actually says that no matter how carefully you plan and execute your garden, there are countless factors you cannot predict. Invasions by bugs, inclement weather, hungry rodents, you know, the like. Yeah, if you're a perfectionist, you are going to come up against some disappointment. My gardening history can be described as a long list of learning experiences. But beyond the act of gardening, just having a mosey through a beautiful garden must be good for our mental health. Oh, for sure. Studies indicate that looking at a green landscape reduces anxiety and depression and connects you with the world. And we all need some connection, don't we? Yeah, besides these benefits though, gardening can be very physical and a great source of exercise. It is not all just picking flowers. No, it is not. You can certainly break a sweat, stretch, and build muscle when gardening. And don't forget all the fresh veggies you'll be eating if you're growing your own food. It's just a healthy thing to get engaged in no matter how you look at it. But there are those who are not interested in it, right? Actually, some recent stats state that 55% of all Americans take part in some form of gardening activities, with the average age of gardeners in the U.S. being 35 to 44 years old. Whoa, I wouldn't have thought gardening was so popular with the younger set. And let me just say, Walker, under 50 to me is the younger set. Oh, me too. (laughs) According to the stats I was reading, 18.3 million people took to gardening in 2021, and many were millennials. Well, I love that. Maybe Mm. it's the beautiful environmentalism of that generation. Maybe. And yet some people claim that they just can't garden. You know, no green thumb and all. 
Yeah. Maybe it's just not something that these people have had much exposure to. If you're not in an environment where you have the opportunity to learn about gardening and appreciate the challenges and the beauty of growing plants, it might just not be something that you're comfy or familiar with. Right. Gardening actually can be quite daunting. Mm -hmm. There is a lot to learn. And what about the Latin names for plants? I know. Those Latin names are a little much sometimes. Yes, they are. It's easy to feel like a novice, particularly around people who have decades of experience. I have friends who have been gardening forever, and I wish I could have that knowledge at my fingertips too. But I learn from them. Mm -hmm. Right now, big shout out to Karen and Jan. Thank you. (laughs) All right, Karen and Jan. It's always good to have gardening friends because just when you think you have it all figured out, Mother Nature presents you with some sort of puzzle or horticultural brain teaser. Mm -hmm. But of course, you don't need to learn everything all at once. There are terrific resources out there. Absolutely. I love to pour over my gardening books. And yes, I still own gardening books. Do you really? Uh I used to have a ton of them, but I find the internet is such a fabulous resource. I think if you learn a few basic rules of the green thumb, you can have a good foundation in gardening, just like in cooking. If you master a few kitchen skills, you can probably put together a decent meal. Oh, I completely agree. I wonder if some people, though, are adverse to gardening because of all the dirtiness and bugginess of the outdoor work. Mm, Maybe. I'm sure that could be the case. Not everybody likes Likes mucking about in the dirt. You know, I'm okay with the soil, but I have to admit the insects do freak me out sometimes. Yeah. I have an appreciation for worms though. Hey Harris, here's a little known fact. I did a grade five school project on the history of the earthworm, so I know how valuable they are. Ooh, you are the <laughs> earthworm expert. But I am. They are truly valuable. And a little known fact for you, Walker, Mm -hmm. I used to collect earthworms after a rain and make little habitats for them, all dirty and weedy, in buckets. (laughs) I think we were really weird kids. We were, because I did it as well. I mean, I just pulled them out of the puddles and was late for school because I had to put them in the grass because I felt badly for them. (laughs) You know, they had deep emotions, those worms. Of course they do. They're little sentient (laughs) beings, aren't they? Well, I'm not afraid of bugs, though I'm not a fan of the stinging or biting variety, aside, of course, from the beautiful bee. Insects are extremely important to every ecosystem, as we know, and particularly for plants. I'm not sure why people are so bug-averse, but I guess it's because they're so different from us, and some of them move unnervingly fast. Yeah, the fact they take me off guard freaks me out, Mm -hmm. but they are so good for your garden. Predator and parasite insects like spiders eat bugs which aren't good for your plants, like the hornworm. They harm tomatoes, but if you have wasps about, they lay their eggs on hornworms, which ultimately feed on the hornworm, removing the problem. Did you have any trouble saying hornworm that many times there, Walker? (laughs) Because that was a bit of a mouthful. (laughs) Okay, that's a little gross, but interesting to know wasps are good for something. In fact, I think they are little known pollinators too. Did you know that, Walker? I did. Actually, in an article in Gardner's Path, the USDA Forest Service states that 80% of the world's flowering plants reproduce with the help of pollinators such as, and here's a long list, Mm -hmm. ants, bees, beetles, butterflies, flies, moss, and wasps, while bats birds and other animals 
and wind and water help. Right, okay. Mm -hmm. This makes me think that we really need to dedicate an episode to the insect. Mm -hmm. There is just so much to learn and maybe it can serve as a form of exposure therapy for me. Ooh, what a great idea. Maybe we can even bring in some live animals while we are in studio. great idea there, Harris. Yeah, you like that one? (laughs) Gardening as a hobby has certainly grown in popularity in the last few decades in tandem with a greater interest in food and cooking. But I think there has even been a greater fascination with gardens and the outdoor natural environment since the pandemic. I know I took a masterclass in gardening in 2020 and that really ignited my love for gardening. People are also now more invested in the quality of their food, and there is more of an effort to encourage organic and local food production. Our next guest is the perfect person to help us dig into this a little further. We are excited to introduce John Lentz of Baker Creek Heirloom Seed Company in Mansfield, Missouri. Baker Creek has a passion for saving, growing, and sharing rare seeds and keeping heirloom varieties alive for future generations. Welcome to At Home and Abroad, John. Thank you. Thank you very much. So can you tell us a little bit about Baker Creek Heirloom Seed Company and why it was founded back in 1998? Yeah, probably a little bit. Jer was 17 years old, living here at the farm in Mansfield, and he'd been gardening with his mother and grandmother for years. Mm -hmm. And he started this as a hobby. He wanted to save some interesting varieties of seeds. And then he decided he was probably going to see about selling some of his favorite varieties. So he put ads in Mother Earth News. Right. And started a cottage business. And it's grown from there to what it is today. I believe we're North North America's largest heirloom seed company. That is remarkable. That is remarkable. So can you define for us what heirloom seeds actually are and and perhaps a little bit about open pollination too? Yeah, that's that's straightforward. Open pollinated seeds are from produce that's, once again, just open pollinated. It's not, say, adjusted. Mm -hmm. Modified, like genetically modified? Not necessarily that, just not hybridized. Open pollinated is a plant passing its pollen around through bees and insects and the wind. And open pollinated means non-hybrid. Okay. Okay. It's Mm -hmm. natural. Heirloom is an open pollinated variety that has kind of a backstory to it. It's been around for 100 years. It's an older variety. But there are new open pollinated varieties that come along all the time, as opposed to a hybrid, which is intentionally crossing one variety of tomato with another variety of tomato to promote a certain characteristic. Right. So selectively crossbreeding them to 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 either grow stronger, taller, more hardy, whatever. Disease resistance, yeah, and any of those characteristics that they're working on. The issue with hybrid seed is you can't save it and get the same product year after year because it is a first-generation cross. It's an F1 hybrid. Okay. With open pollinated, you can grow the same tomato for 200 years as long as it's not accidentally crossed and it'll breed, it'll breed true forever. 
the hybrids, that's a big difference. Yeah, the hybrids, you can't save seed on them and expect the same crop year after year. Wow. Okay. So saving seeds is fundamental to Baker Creek and sharing seeds is also a very fundamental thing to, to your business. So why is seed preservation and sharing so critical these days? The saving of the genetics is what's important. When the first settlers came to America, the Native Americans were growing the three sisters, a type mm -hmm. of squash, a type of corn, and a type of beans. And they grew them harmoniously, and it was very sustainable. Mm -hmm. Since then, those varieties that they were original ones are gone. Nobody knows what they were growing. Wow. Be because the next person comes along and says, oh, this squash is better than the one you're using. And so they take their old seeds, throw them away and start growing the new one. Mm -hmm. What happened to those old seeds? They're gone. They're lost. Mm -hmm. Same with the corn varieties, the bean varieties. These are all lost to history because mm -hmm. there's always something better. Well, yeah. Just because it's better doesn't mean we should trash the stuff from before. Oh, it's, absolutely. It's, it's wise to keep those genetics around and keep them around in case there's uh, ecological disaster or something that mm -hmm. would force us to go back to a more primitive method of farming than what we're currently using. We just don't want to lose those genetics. We encourage people to plant and save open pollinated seeds and to share them with their neighbors so we can get a broad group of people that are helping to secure this mission that mm -hmm. we don't want to lose that stuff. Once it's gone, it's gone. It can be critical to the future of humanity. And really? There is a possibility. So that's why the seed banks, everybody's storing seed and trying to get long-term storage out of them. But you can't put them in a seed bank for 500 years and then break them out. We want people to continuously grow them and mm -hmm. replenish the supply so they don't disappear. And so we encourage all our customers, every gardener everywhere to save seed and to share seed. It's an important message. Yeah. The biodiversity is worth preserving. So, John, having held the director of greenhouses position and now being in a customer facing role in the seed store at Baker Creek, as well as being part of the online team of horticulturalists available to answer customer questions, you wear a lot of hats. <laughs> what changes have you seen in the questions you're receiving from your customers? And have you noticed any changes since the pandemic started? I'm going to say yes. Basically, I think we have a flood of newer gardeners, less experienced gardeners. Ah. The pandemic forced a lot of people to stay home from work. And while they were at home, they thought, heck, I'm going to grow some tomatoes. Right. So we got a bunch of less experienced gardeners and we answer questions for them. We try to help them be successful. We want everybody to have a raging good garden. <laughs> I mean, there's so many joys out there in walking through and picking tomatoes on the way by, harvesting a crop of radishes, bringing that watermelon in for the summer picnic. 
you know, I grew this stuff. Mm -hmm. so we're, we're seeing a lot of enthusiastic newbies. Yeah, well, that's nice. And, and a lot of them have questions because they don't have, either they didn't grow up with grandma having a big garden or they're city dwellers and haven't had the opportunity or the time to really explore all the wildness that's out in the garden. So they're fumbling their way through and you're doing some hand-holding. Well, fumbling sometimes. <laughs> every, every I've had plants die. I've had crop failures. Everybody does. Yeah, I know personally I have. Yeah, some years it just goes great and the next year you can't get anything to work. So it's, you know, some hand-holding, it's a lot of reassuring. Ah. Know, it'll work just got to have some patience and some faith in this you know yeah. put the seeds in the ground they're not up yet how long <laughs> how long has it been five days <laughs> no come on stay stay with me here wait another two weeks and then we'll see what we can do because you're everybody wants it now yeah i bet there is a lot of that eh? instant gratification, instant gratification. exactly I put the seeds in, where's my tomatoes? There's some gentle instruction that we try to do and expl explain how things work. Now, your headquarters there in Mansfield really offers so much more than what you would think of a seed store. Can you tell us and our listeners what they might expect if they visited? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> is that a loaded question, John? <laughs> yeah, this is, this is kind of fun. There is the seed store. We have 1,200 varieties in there. Thousands, wow. thousands of packs of seeds. There's a boutique. Uh, we also have Baker Creek has a bulk herb store, which is organic teas, spices, and herbs. One of the ladies I work with up at the store is an herbalist. Jer's mother runs a bakery. Wonderful. Ac across the across the way, just twenty steps away, and makes I swear the best cinnamon rolls you've ever eaten. I've had a few too many <laughs> uh, uh, sourdough bread from a really old culture that she's had for forever. Uh, cookies, other fun things, got jams and jellies, local honey. We also have a vegan restaurant on site. Really? That uh, from all reports is excellent. And it's, I don't know how far it is to the next vegan restaurant, but they're not real common in Southern Missouri. Right. As far as the gardening end goes, there are 700 plus raised beds down the hill where trials are performed. We grow everything. We start 50,000 seedlings in the greenhouses. Holy smokes. We don't sell them. We plant them all. Quite uh, the feat. There's 26 greenhouses right now. A little over 100,000 square feet of greenhouses. And five plus acres of gardens, outdoor gardens. It sounds like quite a destination for the whole family, whether you're a gardener or not. Yeah, you can pretty much spend a day here without any kind of trouble. Harris sounds like a road trip, another road trip opportunity. Sounds definitely like a road trip. Yeah, just wandering around is, it'll take you all day to see what's here. I love the fact that Baker Creek is involved in hosting festivals. It's a way of bringing in gardeners and homesteaders and natural food enthusiasts together. Can you tell us a little bit about how that works with the festivals and how they benefit those that attend? We uh, have 
three scheduled for this year. The one in April was a tulip festival. We had oh, nice. 20,000 tulip bulbs planted in the main garden up here in the village. And there are garden speakers, some well-known people come in and talk about gardening and, and composting and uh, no-till and everything else that makes any sense for the modern gardener, urban farming. Mm -hmm. uh, we do greenhouse and garden tours. About 4,000 people a day show up to these festivals. It's wow. crazy. <laughs> and I mean, it's, yeah, it's busy. The Mayfest is coming up. We have a bunch of stuff being planted. We grow 35 seed crops a year, probably on average, for seed production. It's just an experience. You, there's hugely diverse crowd, permaculturalist, you know, greenhouse owners and growers, market farmers, homesteaders. There's a lot to learn and a lot to see. And I imagine the people that are visiting are learning from each other as well, just not from the on-site experts that may be speaking that day. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very community-oriented social event. The horticulturists that do the garden tours, we answer questions about anything from anybody, anytime. Just, I love it. We want everybody to Yeah. So well, if you got questions, we'll try to answer them. Well, that's nice to have so much local support there. So Baker Creek sounds like it's expanded and grown by leaps and bounds over the decades. What do you see for the future of gardening and what role do you see Baker Creek playing in that future? I guess the future of gardening in my mind is we have the new crop. We have the old crop. It seems to me that we need to make sure that Everybody that's my age, which is not young, be sure and teach at least one person right. the importance of gardening so that two generations from now, people don't assume tomatoes come from the store. Right. They got to learn that you can grow your own food and it's much better for you. And so I hope the future of gardening is... The next generation picking up the habit, picking up the joy of gardening. And once again, there's so there's hydroponics, there's aeroponics. They have new products that you can grow lettuce on your kitchen table. Mm -hmm. I want people to see this and realize that it's not that hard and it's very rewarding. So I'm hoping mm -hmm. that over the next couple of generations, gardening comes back into the mainstream right if the pandemic tells us anything or shows us anything it sounds like we're heading in that direction yeah and, and baker creek we're supporting that i mean it's our business but it's also our our mission our ethos we want gardening to be something that everybody does thank you so much john for chatting with us today it was a pleasure speaking with you if you would like to learn more about Baker Creek, you can visit them at www.rareseeds.com or follow them on Instagram at at Baker Creek Seeds, Facebook at at Rare Seeds, and their very informative YouTube series entitled Seed Stories. I have to tell you, each one is a little, a little history lesson. You may also have a read of one of their books, The Heirloom Life Gardener and the Baker Creek Vegan Cookbook. Thanks again, John. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. I would 
love to visit the Baker Creek Farm, wouldn't you, Walker? Absolutely. It sounds amazing. So whether you have jumped on the gardening bandwagon or not, gardens have been an integral part of the human experience. They are widely featured in film and literature, sometimes just as a beautiful backdrop, but sometimes they're front and center, like in Peter Rabbit. One of my favorite childhood books was The Secret Garden, which of course has now been made into a film. But as farmcoastaleditorial.com points out, there are less films which feature the act of gardening itself. That's true. Apparently the films Green Fingers, The Beautiful Fantastic, and Dare to be Wild feature the act of gardening. But I have to admit, Harris, despite being a lover of gardening, I haven't seen any of these films. They're all on my watch list. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) One film that features Kate Winslet is meant to be absolutely fabulous. It's a period piece called A Little Chaos. Ooh, tell me more. And Harris, listen to this. Alan Rickman directed and acted in the film. How have I never seen it? Mm. Alan Rickman is one of my screen crushes. I don't know how I let this film slip by me. Well, it looks like your plans are sewn up for tonight, Walker. For sure. I think this may be my hobby for the summer, getting into gardening and then following up in the evening with a film devoted to the topic of gardening. Well, that sounds kind of blissful, doesn't it? (laughs) You know, we probably most often think of vegetable or flower gardens, but we need to expand our horizons. There are many other types of gardens and even variations of the vegetable and flower garden as well. Take, for example, rock gardens woodland gardens, water gardens, vertical gardens, roof gardens, medicinal gardens, butterfly and bee gardens, scented gardens, and religious gardens. Listing them here brings to mind those so many beautiful gardens I've visited around the world. Yeah, religious gardens interest me. I conducted a little research on medieval gardens in grad school. Much of what we know of these ancient gardens of the time are really from monastic texts and from art. Mm -hmm. Monasteries and castles most often boasted landscape gardens. They were formal and geometric in appearance, enclosed by hedges or walls, and often divided by walking paths. Utilitarian gardens were valued too, with culinary and medicinal purposes of prime importance. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and there are Hindu gardens too. Oh, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, they're beautiful. Hindu gardens embody Hindu beliefs, of course. They are very symbolic, intending to reflect the belief that everything in the universe is sacred. These gardens create a place of refuge for birds and wildlife, and of course, there is great value placed on the plants, which are colorful and are chosen for their lovely scent and significance. Hindu gardens are also offer many walkways and water features too. Feast for the senses. Mm-hmm. These gardens are very carefully planned like an oasis, so they're perfect for meditating, perhaps particularly with the focus on the interconnectedness of all things. There are some very significant plants too. For example, the Buddha gained enlightenment under what is called a people tree. If you wanted to consider growing a people tree, though, in your garden, you would have to make sure, first of all, that you were in the right climate and also that you had enough space because Mm -hmm. they are fast growing and need ample room. But there is a people bonsai, too, if you don't have a big yard. Excellent idea. Mm -hmm. Solving problems. (laughs) Yeah. Hindu gardens also usually have a good number of medicinal plants, including holy basil. Hindu mythology states that this plant is the manifestation of the deity Vrinda on earth. There is also the Prosopis Cineraria tree, which is said to cleanse us of sins, and it's worshipped by Hindus at the Dussehra Festival. One of my personal favorites, though, often featured in these gardens is the colorful hibiscus, and these are among the flowers that are offered to deities. And even the common marigold, it symbolizes auspiciousness. But probably the most well-known plant is the lotus flower. These are water-based plants which are grown in ponds and are said to be one of the most appreciated flowers in Hindu mythology. 
They rise from the murky depths of mud and water, pristine and clean, and are thus symbols of purity, rebirth, and strength. And Walker, who could forget roses? Uh. Right? Lord Brahma and Lord Vishnu were said to have had a debate as to which is the most beautiful flower on earth. And ultimately, Lord Vishnu convinced Lord Brahma that it was the rose. Don't tell the lotus. I won't tell this. Oh, I know. Poor Lotus. Roses are exquisitely beautiful, though. I find this all fascinating. And I can tell you that this is something I'm going to look into more when I find some time. It's always about (laughs) finding the time, isn't it? It seems so. So do you have a favorite type of garden walker? Oh, I love all manner of gardens, but I've always been partial to tiny courtyard gardens that offer a lot of privacy and are relatively easy to maintain because of their small size. Mm. I'm also a big fan of parterre gardens. So tell me, what is a parterre garden? Well, we've seen a few of them over the years, Harris. They're these very formal gardens. They can be very tiny with symmetrical beds and often low hedges like boxwoods and gravel paths. It comes from the French meaning on the ground. Okay. But those do seem to require a great deal of maintenance, right? They do, as the boxwoods have to be well kept and trimmed down. I love the clean, regular look of them, and some of the shrubs can be shaped and grown into beautiful, elaborate designs. Do you have a favorite style? I, too, am also an admirer of all gardens, but I really do love Japanese gardens. These gardens are planned to mimic a natural landscape complete with water features, rock and gravel pathways. Even the dry Zen gardens offer a unique, beautiful and peaceful ambiance. And of course, there are the famous Japanese cherry trees. I do love a flowering tree. Do you have a favorite flower walker? I love flowering trees as well, but my favorite flower is a gardenia, but they are not easy to grow here in Southern Ontario. Unfortunately, I have failed miserably at keeping Mm. mine alive. I am a big fan of lilies, though. It's all about the perfume, Harris, for Mm. me. The more the scent, the better. And I would say over the years, though, I've gained a greater appreciation for the simple moss. Funny you say that because (laughs) I also love moss. Isn't it beautiful? I was surprised by how many interesting varieties of moss exist in nature. I became hooked on moss when I read Elizabeth Gilbert's book, The Signature of All Things. I highly recommend it. And yet I've had little success in growing moss with yogurt. Have you ever done this before? No, I haven't. But moss grows naturally in my yard. So you should just give it another go, Walker. Nice. Okay, so we've established that gardens offer us peace, beauty, and the opportunity for reflection. But have you ever heard of poison gardens, Walker? Oh, no, I haven't, but you've piqued my interest. Okay, well, there is one such garden located near the Northumberland coast in England. The Alnwick Poison Garden is so dangerous that you can only visit it as part of a guided tour. Oh, that's probably why. So what grows in this garden? Well, behind an iron fence, there are roughly 100 toxic plants. Visitors are not allowed to smell, taste, or touch any of the plants, and the most dangerous of the plants are kept in big cages. Oh, that's neat. I'd love to take a tour there. Well, beware, Walker. Apparently, some visitors have been known to pass out just from inhaling the air. Oh, excellent. So the cool factor's just been bumped up a notch for me personally. I know, right? (laughs) Have you ever heard of the Ruth Bancroft Garden and Nursery in San Francisco? No, I haven't. It's not dangerous per se, but it definitely has some cool factor as well. Okay, so tell me all about it. Well, this garden is known for its collection of succulents and drought-tolerant plants from around the world with the hope teaching visitors the importance of water conserving plants. Well, that's pretty relevant, especially in California. Mm -hmm, My thoughts exactly. And have you ever heard 
heard of the Gardens of Villandry? I have, but I've never been. Well, I have been there. My husband and I did take a visit to the Gardens of Villandry in the Loire Valley in France on our honeymoon. And I have to say, it was absolutely spectacular. The gardens are very manicured in the fashion of a parterre garden like we spoke of earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really a must-see if you're in the area. The Gardens of Villandry were created in 1906 by Spanish medical researcher Joaquim Carvalho, and they cover nine hectares of the chateau grounds. The gardens are created to reflect a romantic English-style landscape park. There are lots of carefully manicured hedges, brightly colored flowers with walkways amongst them. The gardens are actually several gardens, and one of which is a large vegetable garden inspired by medieval traditional vegetable and flower gardens, which were cared for by the monks we spoke of. Cool. If you ever visit, I would recommend touring the gardens on the ground, but also making sure you get a good view of the gardens from higher advantage point, as these gardens are so large that it's hard to grasp their beauty unless you get a good look from above. Okay, noted. There are so many beautiful gardens in France, aren't there? Mm-hmm. Now, going a little further afield, I hear that the Kenroku and Garden in Kanazawa, Japan, is considered to be, by many, one of the world's greatest gardens. Well, that's quite an endorsement. What makes it special? Well, firstly, the garden took approximately 200 years to create, beginning oh. in the 17th hmm. century. Kenroku and translates as the Garden of the Six Sublimities. And what are those? They are the six elements of a perfect garden, of course. Artifice, seclusion, panorama, antiquity, waterways, and spaciousness. Another Japanese garden of note is Ryoanji Garden in Kyoto. This Zen garden is part of the Zen Buddhist temple and is said to be one of the best examples of Japanese dry landscape. The garden consists of large rocks placed on raked pebbles, and according to local folklore, the stones are placed in the garden where they can't all be seen at once when you're sitting down, unless you've attained complete enlightenment. So we best check that out, Walker. Mm. But if flowers are your jam, then you might want to consider putting Kuchenhof in Lease, Netherlands on your bucket list. This garden boasts 79 acres of land and is comprised of 7 million flower bulbs, making it the largest flower garden in the world. Wow, that is a lot of flowers. I imagine a good number of those flowers are tulips. They may even all be tulips, I think. (laughs) Uh, But who doesn't love acres of tulips? Exactly. There are just so many exceptional gardens and definitely too many to highlight here. But I highly recommend to our listeners to visit their local botanical garden or other noteworthy gardens or even just take in the natural flora and fauna during your walks. I guarantee you there is a very good chance you will see something you've never seen before. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting that many associate the hobby of gardening with the older, perhaps retired set, even though that may not necessarily be the case anymore. Yeah, it's true. It still has that association, doesn't it, Walker? Yes, I'm pretty sure it's because retired folk finally have more time on their hands to get out in the garden. It can be quite time-consuming. Yeah, like the game of golf. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, though, many people, no matter their age, are looking to learn more about gardening. People are realizing the benefits that gardening has to offer, even if they only have a small balcony or a kitchen countertop to make use of. Container gardening is perfect for the balcony garden, and even those with no outdoor space at all can grow microgreens, veggies, and herbs on their windowsills and countertops with the help of LED lights and self-watering systems. Now, you have one of those, don't you? One of those systems. I do. I have this really cute little countertop unit, and we grow all manner of herbs, flowers, and even cherry tomatoes in it. And it's fantastic, especially during the winter months in Canada. My husband has a keen interest in indoor gardening, so it was a gift we gave him during the pandemic, a little 
project. Oh, that's really neat. Though I've been an avid gardener for years, I was able to share my interests with my family too during the pandemic. They were a captive audience, shall we say. Yes. <laughs> it truly was an unprecedented time. There was a lot more time to explore new interests or even just go deeper into our current interests. Right. More time to research. Mm-hmm. It is exciting watching something grow though, isn't it? Yeah. Even if it's just some herbs on your counter sill. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm particularly interested in growing vegetables from scraps from my kitchen. Hmm, I love the idea of this. You can find an unlimited number of articles and videos online outlining which vegetables are best options for growing and how to go about doing it. It's really caught on with those who feel it is important to try to reduce food waste. Yeah, it has. And beyond that, with the cost of fresh produce these days, I would recommend that everybody give it a try. It's really fun, it's easy, and it saves you from having to go to the grocery store. Now, you've been more successful than I've been in terms of growing from scraps. What's your trick? Well, I've learned a lot from seasoned gardeners online. There's this one guy I follow, Patrick Vernuccio, otherwise known as the Frenchie Gardener. Mm. And he teaches tips and tricks to growing your own food in pots and containers. He's fabulous. It's amazing how much you can grow from the veggies you just take home from your shopping. Right. I don't follow him, but I'm certainly going to have to follow him. Zero waste gardening is just one of many popular forms of environmentally conscious gardening trending right now. And this is music to my ears, Harris. Mm -hmm. As discussed in Real Simple, Amy Havis of Eden Garden Design and Barton Springs Nurseries stated that including natural wildlife habitats in your gardens is also very popular. Mm. She says that by planting a variety of flowering perennials, native grasses, and understory trees, you'll be inviting nature back in to share your garden with you. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. I try to do this in my own garden to attract butterflies and bees. Great. And mm-hmm. Amy Havis also says that alternatives to grass lawns like tight-knit plants that give green coverage are also growing in popularity due to the large amounts of water that lawns require. Yeah, they really do. Those lawns are really not environmentally friendly. Creeping thyme, Corsican mint, and clover can all be used as grass alternatives. You can check out more options even online at the Old Farmer's Almanac in their article, Grass Alternatives, 12 Low-Maintenance Lawn Replacements. So who else do you follow and learn from, Harris? Oh my gosh, Walker, there's so many. If you're interested in flower farming and floral design, you can follow Emily Evanson. Originally from California, she moved to Belgium to open Fleuropian, her flower farm and school. Or if you're looking for a little inspo, Aaron Bertelson is your go-to guy. He believes that everybody can grow something. So you don't have to necessarily have that green thumb. But remember I mentioned that masterclass I took during the pandemic? That was led by Ron Finley, the gangster gardener. Now he is a true inspiration and change maker. Neat. Yeah, Ron is not only an incredible gardener, but he is credited with beginning a horticulture revolution by transforming neglected dirt patches along the street into vegetable gardens in South Central LA. What an incredible human being. I think that's just fabulous. It is. He is. Ron planted edible varieties in these unused patches of earth lining the streets and fought back against the city of Los Angeles when they cited him for gardening without a permit, which is so ridiculous. Having grown up in the area, he was very familiar with the lack of fresh produce. With the help of other green activists, he won the right to grow food in this way in his neighborhood. What a story. Yeah, and you might not know that South Central LA, among other cities, is referred to as a food desert. Did you know that over 20 million Americans have to walk on average three miles to get fresh food? Ron is certainly addressing this issue with his work. And it's also important to point out that 
if there is a lack of access to fresh produce, this results in higher obesity rates, which of course results in higher rates of developing disease. So it's a health issue. This is a perfect example of how gardening is about so much more than plants and connecting with the earth. Mm-hmm. It's about stronger and healthier communities. Mm-hmm. It is like the Chinese proverb says, Walker, life begins the day you start a garden. Thank you for joining us at At Home and Abroad with your host, Harrison Walker. Subscribe to follow us each week as we continue the conversation. You can also say hi to us on Instagram at, at Harrison Walker. We would love to hear from you.